So I invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Hebrews. Book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 7. We are moving a paragraph at a time through the Scriptures. And uh, we're going to pick up our reading at verse 11 through 19. So Hebrews chapter 7, verse 11 says, Now, if perfection had been attainable through the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, what further need would there have been for another priest to arise after the order of Melchizedek, rather than one named for the order of Aaron? For when there is a change in the priesthood, there is necessarily a change in the law as well. For the one of whom these things are spoken belong to another tribe, from which no one has ever served at the altar. For it is evident that our Lord was descended from Judah, and in connection with that tribe, Moses said nothing about priests. This becomes even more evident when another priest arise in the likeness of Melchizedek, who had become a priest not on the basis of legal requirement concerning bodily descent, but by the power of an indestructible life. For it is witnessed of him, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. For on the one hand, a form of commandment is set aside because of its weakness and uselessness. For the law made nothing perfect, but on the other hand, a better hope is introduced through which we draw near to God." We still live in a land that subscribes to equal justice under the law. The blind lady of justice wields the sword in one hand and the scales of justice in the other, and the blindfold is to signal impartiality. That is the goal uh, in judgments. And I say subscribe, we subscribe to it because it's a goal And I know that as long as there are human beings who are sinful in the mix, justice will not be perfectly meted out at all times. Uh, This week I was listening to a very, very heart-wrenching story, and I want to just share a little bit because it relates to, um, really relates to the impracticality of having a relationship with God through law. And... uh, I was listening to this testimony of a man whose wife had to die alone in a Denver hospital due to some of the recent restrictions placed upon communities. Um, He was prevented from visiting his wife even though he had made many attempts to appeal and provide his own hazmat protection and whatnot to provide protection for those who would be in the hospital. And he just was not permitted, actually, until it was certain that she wasn't going to make it. And uh, the abundance of caution was taken. And so, at any rate, he went in, and the man made this very insightful statement and this observation. He said, because of the extreme regulation taken by the hospital, 
the nursing staff were reduced to being iPad stands to provide virtual hospice care. Now, I bring this up to illustrate how that a virtual substitute for human touch and affection is a very poor substitute. Now, I just share this as well to make matters a little bit more bitter for the man when he descended to the lobby after having collected his thoughts and descended to the lobby and having been denied access for many weeks when it may have provided some help to his wife, he noticed and observed about 50% of the hospital staff either wearing PPE improperly or not at all. And I share that heart-wrenching story to call attention. Yes, injustices happen even in our day. And it also illustrates how our hearts ought to hunger for a true application of justice in our land. Illustrating also how, yes, God had provided an expression of law throughout the centuries called the Old Testament law, but the law itself is a poor substitute, like a virtual meeting, it is a poor substitute for having a relationship with God directly. Now, I need to describe law with you for a moment so you understand a little bit. Um, we don't live underneath the old dispensation anymore, and so some of these ideas are harder to grasp for us as New Testament people living centuries later. Um, but divine law was always meant to display the glory of God, and it was a virtual representation of His character. And God's glory can be seen through it. In fact, David and other writers in the Psalms, and one of the Psalms that we, we reflected upon this morning in our Scripture reading, talks about uh, being acquainted and in, in, in relationship with God and on the basis of law. Um, Psalm 119, one of those verses in which all of the verses of Psalm 119 talk about the law in some fashion, this one particular says, the unfolding of your words gives light. The unfolding of your law gives light. It imparts understanding to the simple. And there is a beauty in the law and a elevation of understanding of who God is and how we ought to live in His world through the law, and yet the law is difficult because it has to be carried out by sinful people. It creates distortions at times in its application. And even looking at the law itself as we read it, it can be hard. It can be like a virtual meeting. It can leave one hungry for more. And so, that's an aspect of the law that you need to understand. The second aspect, as I said, is, is it, and maybe I've already said it in some ways, is, again, a poor substitute as a representation of God. And so this morning, this morning, as we look at this text, what we're seeing is the writer is saying, there's a need for something better. There's need for a change in how we have relationship with God. And the real big idea comes at the end, almost like at the very last verse that we read in verse 19. And the big idea is this, is that we draw near to God through a better hope, and that hope is the Lord Jesus Christ. That is our 
ticket, if you will, into the very presence of God and having a relationship and knowing Him. Now, in the first uh, several chapters of, of, this, of this book, the author has been des- describing uh, the beauty that is ours in the Lord Jesus Christ, the radiance of the glory uh, when Jesus came was not a virtual, it was not a virtual meeting. It was direct, and the disciples who, who interacted with Jesus were, they actually touched him, and they felt him, and they knew his love and appreciation and relationship. And the Son of God is, is the one whom we hold on to now, even if we are not able to visually see him with the eyeballs, our hearts see him. And I can't explain that in any other way than Peter explained it when he said in 1 Peter 1.8, though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. A believer in Christ has within their hearts a love and affection for God, never seeing Jesus Christ. Even as a child, we sing, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so, right? And that is a a gift that's given to us through the Holy Spirit to have a relationship that is not virtual, it's real, it's living. And uh, so this morning, we're seeing the advancement of this, but we have to think through the contrast How was it in the Old Testament so that we can appreciate how we have it better in the age in which we live? And so, verses 11 through 14, as we break this down, we're going to see uh, first that the law covenant and human priesthood was good for a season. It's the basis of his argument. It's why there's a need for something better. It was good for a season. Now, maybe we should read those verses, again, at least the first verse, where it says, Now, if perfection had been attainable through the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, what further need would there have been for another priest to arise after the order of Melchizedek, rather than one named after the order of Aaron? It is so important for us to understand that throughout all time, God has related to people on the basis of covenant. God establishes relationship on the basis of covenant. Now, again, I know that's an unfamiliar word, so I need to give you understanding of what that is referring to. A covenant is a reciprocating relationship that's built on trust, loyalty, and love. It has parameters. It has like a fence around it. And there's agreement by both people that they're going to be loyal to one another and honor one another. And we use the term covenant in marriage, don't we? As a commitment of relationship. And it models the greater way in which God makes a relationship with his creation, with God's people, with, and with 
us in the future. This is all based upon God's initiation. And then it's reciprocated by people out of love and loyalty. You know, last Sunday we discussed the tithe as a symbol of loyalty and love for God who provides all things. The tithe is like a tribute. It's, it's given to the king who provides protection for commerce and, and freedom in the land and protection. But here, what we're seeing is that the regulations of that relationship were described through law terms, and there was expectation that the people of Israel would, would show their love and loyalty for God by keeping his law that had been spelled out. Now, think for a minute with me about covenant and commitment. What happens when we have committed ourselves to a particular relationship and then there is fraud that occurs? Where someone has defrauded another the rights that they are owed, how, how does that How does that become restored? How does that relationship become fixed, if you will? Because it's been breached. And in a covenant relationship, there has to be a display of sacrificial cost. There ought to be, there is also restitution that is required of the other individual and the other person. Sacrifice and restitution were prescribed through the Mosaic law so that when God's people broke the law, they defrauded God of his honor, there was a way that sacrifice and retribution was prescribed so that the relationship could be restored, be reconciled. And that's how it is with us today. It is on a different basis, and I don't want to steal my thunder for a moment, We need to understand, first of all, that that's how relationship with God works. We don't design the system. God designs the system. This is how it works. And we live out aspects of that system in the world in which we live. Marriage is one of those pictures of the system that God has created. Now, verse 11. Now that you understand, I hope, a little bit about uh, covenant and law, you need to understand that there is the priesthood that is the one who mediates the reconciliation. The priesthood is the one who receives. So what's wrong with the old way? Verse 11. Like, what's wrong with the old way? Why can't we just kind of go on the way it used to be? You know, that's often how it is when things do change. People say, well, what's wrong with the old way we were doing it? It was good for the last 50, 60 years. Why don't we just do it the old way we've ever done it? Well, in the case of the Old Testament perfection was not attainable through the old system. Perfection of connectivity of relationship, it was virtual. It was not ever able to really bring a person directly into direct fellowship with God. Perfection of relationship with God is what we we desire. So, When we think about God, God wants the best for us. He's not not settled with less than what is best 
and most beneficial for us. I don't know if you realize this, but God the Father exists in perfect relationship with one another. The Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, they, they intermingle with one another without any interruption. Not one barrier exists between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And the expression of love that exists within that relationship, the loyalty that they have for one another And that's God's goal for us as His creation. And He wants us to be in the very middle of that love that exists between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You know, creation was created so that there could be a greater degree of affection displayed throughout all the world. But sin came into play and contaminated the relationship that we have with God. Sin came in, and it prevents us from entering into a perfect love that exists within the Godhead. And so, when you see the word perfection, perfection, if perfection had been attainable by the old system, we would have carried on with the old system. It was not possible because you have sinful people participating in receiving sacrifices from sinful people. There is no possible way that we can enter into the very presence and the love of God. It's absolutely essential. And so it's important for us to see that the expression of God's law intertwined God's expectations, we call them the Ten Commandments, the expectations of holiness, And it intertwined the sacrificial system which provided the way to create restitution and fix our problem of lack of holiness. These things were all intertwined. And so here, the uh, author here is saying that the law was essentially designed to be a virtual relationship. You can't get close to God because of your sin nature. And All of this is intertwined together. And so, when one piece goes away, all of it has to go away. So, if we have imperfect priests that are going to be changed out with a perfect priest, we get a whole new way of having a relationship directly with God. And no longer do we relate to God through law which is like a virtual meeting. We now meet with God in Christ through the Holy Spirit. We worship, what did Jesus say to the woman at the well? In spirit and in truth. We have it all in Christ. And all who call upon the name of the Lord for the forgiveness of their sins find that he is a good priest, a perfect priest, who takes us into the very presence of the Father. So now we organize ourselves around Jesus and His Spirit. So there had to be a change. So how, so verse 12, I think I've jumped over a couple of items here in my excitement to speak about the Trinity. But in the first aspect here of why we need to have a, you know, a, new, a new priesthood, a new law. We, 
You know, perfect union only occurs with God. And law is connected to the priesthood. So verses 13 to 14, I'm just going to move forward because it's, it's making more sense for me to do that this morning. Verse 13 and 14, so why is there a change from Levi to Judah? I mean, it was a great surprise that the prophecy of Melchizedek is so disconnected. What tribe was Melchizedek from? He wasn't from any tribe. What tribe was in charge of the priesthood? It was Levi and his descendants. And so in in verse uh, 13 and 14, uh, the writer here is saying, look, this is a surprise. How could Jesus, a descendant of Judah, participate in the priesthood? And so what he's doing here, he's saying um, there's a necessary change if it was prophesied that there would come a Messiah priest who would be after the order of Melchizedek. It has to change. And what's really unique here, Moses, yes, didn't speak of Judah as fulfilling this role. But Moses is really unique because as he's giving out this law dynamic, he himself was like a prophet. But yet he was also, Moses was like a priest. You remember how he interceded on behalf of the Israelites when God was going to destroy them? He interceded for them like a priest. But he also ruled over them like a king. Where was Moses in this whole thing? God is free to do whatever he wants to do. And so by pointing to Melchizedek, he's saying, look, there is coming a king who will be like the king Melchizedek who is imaged as being perfect forever. And why does this, why does this matter? Because the law was dictated to the tribe of Levi to mediate the holiness, the holiness of the kings of kings. But yet it was virtual. We actually need God himself to come to us. And that comes through Jesus Christ who comes from the kingly line of Judah. Jesus is the one who actually brings us into the very throne room of God. See, we don't have to wait outside. We don't have to wait outside and have the priest take our offering into the Holy of Holies and sprinkle. Because of Jesus Christ and his sacrifice, the Holy Spirit takes us directly into the presence of the God, God of gods and Lord of lords. We draw near to God through a better hope, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. Now you see, The old was a law-based covenant carried out by a human priesthood. In verses 15 to 19, we see the Christ covenant. The Christ covenant. The divine priesthood who is good forever. Verses 15 to 19. Verses 15 to 19, we have here um, the description of the characteristics of Jesus. They're displayed through a picture of Melchizedek. And he says here that Jesus fits the mold of Melchizedek perfectly. He was priest, he was king, he was priest and he was king. 
But notice in verse 11, notice in verse 11, excuse me, verse, uh, yes, verse 11, it says, if perfection had been attainable through the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, what further need would there have been for another priest to arise after the order of Melchizedek, after the order or pattern? What is he referring to there? Drop down now to verse 15. He says, this becomes even more evident when another priest arises in the likeness of Melchizedek. The word likeness is a fuller description of what this order looks like. What qualities will this future priest who is coming have? What quality does Christ have that requires a change? Why does it have to change? What was that quality? And the answer to that is given in verse, um, verse 16. This one who comes after the pattern has this quality, who became a priest not on the basis of legal requirement concerning bodily descent, but by the power of an indestructible life. The word indestructible literally means not able to be brought to an end. It's not possible to put out that life like you would with a candle where you could take water and extinguish it. It's, this life quality is, it is indestructible. It's not able to be brought to an end. Hell itself was not able to bring Jesus to an end. In a couple of weeks or so, when we get to Hebrews 9, we're going to hear these remarkable words which say, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered Himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? The eternal life that exists in the Holy Spirit, resided in Jesus, the man, and he was filled with the very life of God. The eternal Spirit bore him up in hell so that he would not perish. It was impossible for him to be extinguished. What happens when the power of an indestructible life passes into hell. One theologian said it this way, that the death of death in the death of Christ occurred. Let me paraphrase that. The life of God overturned death for His people. That's the quality that resides in Jesus as the eternal priest. He is the ever-living one. And so if the ever-living one enters into the realm of death, it starts to undo the grip that death has on people. And a whole new paradigm enters into reality. And now, unescapable joy is ours. 
See, the law covenant is done away. And the new Christ covenant takes its place. And it's based upon that indestructible life. It had to happen, the writer says. So, how is the new Christ covenant a better hope? Well, isn't it? It's somewhat obvious, I suppose. In verse 18 to 19, though, he he fleshes out this idea. He says, um, this one who became a priest, not on the basis of the power of a legal requirement concerning bodily descent, but by the power of an indestructible life. For it is witness of him, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. For on the one hand, a former commandment is set aside because of its weakness and uselessness, for the law made nothing perfect. But on the other hand, a better hope is introduced through which we draw near to God. Well, how is it that it is a better hope? You see, the old was good enough for a season, but now with the resurrected Christ serving as priest, serving as king, the old is now clearly weak. It is useless. If I may, it's kind of like trying to enter into the presence of a loved one and be restricted to a virtual call. You know, we can see the person that we love in the virtual call, but we can't provide that touch. We can't receive the embrace. And in Christ, we see now, even though we've never physically seen Him, we, we actually have been gifted the eyes of the Holy Spirit to see from the heart. And we draw near to, Christ, to God the Father through the precious blood of Jesus Christ. We have every confidence that we have been forgiven all of our sin. We have every confidence that we will be forgiven any future sin. And so we can draw near to God through Jesus. Now, I would submit that in Christ's once-for-all sacrifice that we, we have the freedom to confess any sin that we have committed because we have a sure and certain direct communication link to God the Father through Jesus. Because Jesus is how we relate. We relate through a person. We don't relate through the the mechanics of the law. We relate through a person. We can talk directly to the Father. We have no one to go between. Did you know that you can actually attempt to approach God, even as a Christian, on the basis of law. And there are times when we do fall into sin. There are times, though, when we can hide and we can try to manufacture a righteousness and self-confidence that maybe we can actually talk to God. That's operating on the basis of a virtual relationship. That's operating on the basis of law. That if I do these prescripted deeds and duties and moral actions, then God will necessarily accept my prayer. He'll necessarily accept me again. That's not how it works. 
It's, it's like that's trying to, to um, create restitution without recognizing the sacrifice that's been provided for you. You're trying to build a relationship up back with God when what you need to do is humbly accept the once-for-all sacrifice that's available to us through the person of Jesus Christ. It might work a little while to kind of like, okay, I'm going to start going to church regularly, and I'm going to start to do a prayer time in the morning, and I'm going to do all of these things to outweigh the things that I have done. But what we're doing is we're heaping up a performance and not actually trusting by faith that we have been forgiven of all our sin and accept the relationship that is provided through us through Jesus Christ. You'll feel like you're in a virtual meeting if that's the route that you take. How many of you have had a virtual meeting and actually came to the end of it and said, I'm exhausted? That's how you're going to be. Because you're trying to create a relationship on the basis of law and not the person of Jesus Christ. You're attempting to atone for your sin under an old system that no longer has any effect. Grace comes through faith in the sacrifice that's been made for us. We have gained much through Jesus Christ. We have the assurance of an indestructible life. We have union with Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now, I want to just close with this consideration. Those of us who have the personal experience of Jesus Christ now, doesn't it make your heart ache for when you will see Him face to face? It's the substance of a better hope. We have the Christ covenant now that assures us of eternal salvation. But that's not it. We have the assurance of being face to face with Him who loves us. Have you ever heard someone say, I love you so much, I could just eat you up? Well, it's kind of like saying, I'm not satisfied with just giving you a hug. I want to be inside of you. Like, I I love you so much, I just want to be like... I know that sounds weird, maybe. But haven't you ever felt that way? With those whom you love dearly? Well, guess what? When we go to heaven, we will be immersed in the very love of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That will be ours for all of eternity. That's the better hope. A day of eternal marriage in heaven. As the years and days go on, and I pray that you're able to have closeness of fellowship with a loved one, it's going to be eternally greater by far when we see Jesus face to face. And so now, in this day and age, we draw near to God through a better hope. We draw near through the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray.